This is All Rings Considered, a Lord of the Rings read-through. We are on episode 44, and we're in a new book. Uh, we are in book 5, chapter 1, Minas Tirith. And not only is this book 5, but it's the beginning of the third volume of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. So I we're feeling, at least I'm feeling, like we're getting close to the finish line in a way. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, two-thirds of the way through, right? And you know what? The tone of the book uh, is that way too. It is, yeah. I definitely think you're getting a lot of that in this chapter. Uh, to summarize or recap what happens in this chapter, we have gone away from Frodo and Sam. We are now with Pippin. Pippin has been taken by Gandalf. They are riding to Minas Tirith. They get to the city. Uh, Minas Tirith, by the way, is the current capital of Gondor, uh, sort of the biggest human kingdom in Middle-earth. They get to the city. They meet Denethor. Denethor is a steward of Gondor, so he's not the king, but he's running things in the absence of a king. He's old, and he's arrogant, and something's just not right with him. Um, Pippin pledges his loyalty and fealty to him as a sort of payment of debt for Boromir, and now Boromir is gone, uh, and he died trying to save Pippin. Uh, Pippin then meets up with, uh, he gets to hang out with a soldier of Minas Tirith named Baragond, and they get to chat about, Baragond. yeah, he's a cool guy. Uh, they get to chat about the situation they're in, how uh, Mordor is about to strike, they think, and they're a bit afraid. They've lit these beacons to try and get aid from Rohan to come to them. And uh, yeah, the the chapter basically ends with Pippin getting to hang out with uh, Baragon's son, and they get to watch all the different soldiers that are coming into Minas Tirith arrive, though they notice it's very few of them, or much fewer than they hope for. And that's about it. So it's just set, setting the stage for Book 5 and sort of the wars and battles that are going to happen in Book 5 in Gondor. Yeah, and, and it's a pretty long chapter, too. It's a very long chapter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot um, of exposition. I mean, it's a very, like, Tolkien comes in this chapter and says, I have to summarize all of Gondor and their situation right now. Right. Uh, for better or worse, that, that's what he does. So you get a lot of... I mean, it's almost excessive how much name dropping you have here, right? Oh, there's yeah. this region and that region and this thing and that town and this person. And you're like, okay, what, what? This is another time I had to crack open uh, Karen Winfonstead's The Atlas of Middle-Earth and really look carefully at the Gondor maps in there, look carefully at the Gondor map at the back of the Lord of the Rings book itself uh, so I can get a sense of where all these places are and where we were in time and space. So... You can get there. It's I mean, Tolkien doesn't say anything you can't figure out. It's just a lot. Right. Yeah, a lot of exposition here. Uh, I wrote down, like, what is happening actually in this chapter? Um, it's kind of a transition for Pippin. I mean, this is, a, is our yeah. first... I mean, it's not our, our first um, chapter that has Pippin as a main character um, because you have uh, when Pippin and Mary are being um, taken by the orcs uh, in their march um, yeah. to Isengard. Uh, but... This is Pippin on his own. Uh, he's in the first half of the chapter. He's following Gandalf, and then afterwards, you have this uh, this character transition of him uh, being um, like kind of coming into his role as a uh, as a hobbit who has made the transition out of the Shire. Uh, yeah, and he starts to have his own story. Absolutely, it's interesting how absent Gandalf is in this chapter, even though he is there. Right? I mean. I don't feel like he's that big of a presence. Pippin does so much of the talking when they're with Denethor. 
And Gandalf yeah. says that's deliberate because he Denethor's trying, trying, to trying to get somebody who would be a little more a little looser with the tongue to give him any potentially bad news. Um, but yeah, it's very telling. The first half, Gandalf's around, but we don't hear from him too much, I don't feel like. And then the second half, he's just not even there anymore. He's left Pippin on his own. We don't know right. what Gandalf's doing. But yeah, so it, it's a very Pippin-focused chapter. And he does show a sort of maturity that we haven't seen from him yet, too, uh, which is good to see. Yeah, but before we even actually get into Pippin, because we could talk about him for the rest of the chapter, um, I wrote down, uh, yeah, we had a big description of of Gondor, um, but mm-hmm. we have this, and, and so we get this majestic description of Gondor, but also uh, there is writing that says that it's in decay, right? And yes, so, yeah, oh yeah. Um, but what's interesting I wrote about the, um, in my notes here about uh, writing that it's in decay, it's actually... Um, uh, right after Tolkien writes that, that actually there's uh, uh, like more than meets the eye about the decay of, of Gondor, he has these descriptions that are about just an absence of people. Yes, um, yeah. And so I have a, uh, a quote here. In the street, they passed some great house or court. Or, or In every street, they passed some great house or court over whose doors and arched gates were carved many fair letters of strange and ancient shapes. Names Pippin guest of great men and kindreds that had once dwelt there, and yet now they were silent, and no footsteps rang on their wide pavements, nor voice was heard in their halls, nor any face looked out from door or empty window. And so I think to me that's just that Gondor's decay is, is not that, you know, its walls are crumbling or that it's not a beautiful and, you know, majestic, uh, you know, stronghold to look upon. It's that life is, is missing there. There's something about the youth being missing. Um, it's just missing people. Yeah. There's a, been some significant population decline to go with sort of their territorial losses and some of their cities they've lost over time. This, it, it, to me, that, that brings up kind of my, the big thing I was thinking about this chapter, which is that Gondor is clearly modeled to me on post, oh, wait, what's the word I want to use for this? I'm going to be very careful for any history buffs out there. Um, I guess I'll just use the word medieval. Effectively, it's modeled, I think, on medieval, the medieval Roman world, by which I mean sort of the Eastern Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire, maybe Rome itself, you could say, uh, but not in its heyday, not the classical Pax Romana Roman Empire, but the aftermath of that, when you've had this severe population decline. And it is this great civilization, and a lot of people who think of themselves as a great civilization but it itself has like declined significantly. <laughs> and th- to me, this completes something that Tolkien starts way back in book one. Way back in book one, we've we mentioned this in some of the episodes back then. Once you leave the Shire, you're traveling at first through this kind of like Celtic landscape is what we called it. And so mm-hmm. that I meant the mounds and like the barrows and the stone monuments. And then in book three, we go through the um, Germanic world. So we've gone Celtic to Germanic. We're making this like Northwestern and then, well, starting the Northwest and going down, if you looked at a map of medieval Europe, you know, you're going through the cultures in that way. Celtic, Britain, okay. The Germanic um, tribes after that, represented by Rohan, who, and, you know, borrowing a lot of stuff from them. Um, you know, in, in Rohan itself, they're, the poems they sing are Tolkien adapts actual Anglo-Saxon poems to, for the Rohirrim's poems. You know what I mean? I mean, it's very 
there's a lot a lot of borrowing there and then here we've completed our journey and we are out now in the mediterranean so to speak uh in the the roman world roman slash greek world i would say right this the whole mediterranean as a whole um because of course the byzantine empire was really more greek culturally regardless just just you, you know yeah the 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 mediterranean world effectively and we get a lot of sense of that like so if the rohan were borrowing a lot of germanic stuff pretty explicitly like the mead halls and old english is the language and old english poetry being used here in gondor we get things he talks about the architecture there are domes they have a lot of domes mm-hmm. they have columns you go in rooms there are columns that hold up um the ceilings minas tirith has this elaborate wall system for its defenses much like constantinople had one of the most famous like walled defensive systems um the population decline i think that you point out that was a big thing that happened in the mediterranean mm-hmm. world um after that pax romana uh let's see the city is described parts of the city are described as being like they look like they've been carved by giants in anglo-saxon literature or old english literature they describe the roman ruins around britain as being the work of giants they thought they were mm. carved by giants i mean that's a direct lifting there and then to me this the final bit of this comes at the end when tolkien lists off all the people that are coming in all the soldiers that are coming in to help support all these places and it's um in tolkien himself i think called it this at one point in a, either a note or a letter um, it's a Homeric catalog. So it's if you read mm-hmm. like the Iliad, Homer lists all the ships that are sailing to Troy from Greece. And the Aeneid has an equivalent passage of this too at some point. Um, so it's this old Mediterranean epic convention, maybe present in other cultures too, I don't know, but at least in the Mediterranean epics um, of where you have to list where everybody's coming from right? Uh, that's going to fight in this battle. And... Yeah, so like here we're in the world then of Mediterranean epic because we're surrounded by these Mediterranean kind of feel like feeling things. So I don't mean to suggest that like there's some kind of that we should look at this and make some kind of like I don't know this represents pol- this or yeah like it's <laughs> yeah not, it's not that obviously it's not allegorical. I don't even think it's not like political either, right? Like I don't think I really just think it's it's Tolkien using his knowledge of someone who is very knowledgeable about um the medieval and ancient worlds um, especially medieval of course for him to get an aesthetic to lend it some good depth right so i I, you know i don't want to go too far with it like i don't think people should read lord of the rings and think like oh my god we need to restore the roman empire Uh, (laughs) like i just don't think that's what's happening here i really just think he's just like like, right we could take it too far and i I just think he's borrowing it for that that aesthetic value and that depth and that kind of like well look the, the same atmosphere that i'm trying to go for my book did exist in history at one point among some people so let's kind of like crib from there yeah draw on um, that like cultural knowledge to yeah. like further enrich the descriptions right? right like you get a sense that you you know this place in a way yeah, like exactly. like a great example i uh yeah you're describing kind of the like roman aesthetic there's the um or like the mediterranean aesthetic there's the uh citadel guards mm-hmm. who have these like long uh cloaks and these uh helms made of mithril with wi- like uh wings on the side a very athenian sort of uh yeah. look to them um it's just great yeah it does give it's something we haven't seen before and it makes you you know it gives you the feeling of we're in the heart of civilization now such as it is as much as it's declined <laughs> uh, right we, it is still the most civilization we have seen 
um, since we left the Shire. Shall we talk about Pippin? It's his journey, this uh, chapter. Okay, yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, in a, you know, a broad stroke, you have this story of Pippin in this chapter going from being a passenger on Gandalf's steed, um, being asleep most of the time, uh, and you get images of him waking up and saying, oh, like, what's going on here? And he gets an image of, of something. It's like, and he goes back to sleep. And mm-hmm. he's just writing with Gandalf. And then there's a turning point. And I actually, I like this line. Um, Gandalf and Pippin are right before the door of the inner chamber for, uh, or the, the hall for uh, Denethor. And Gandalf says, if you have walked all these days with closed ears and mind asleep, wake up now. And he knocks on the door. Um, and he's really talking more about like, it's in response to Pippin asking about Aragorn coming to be the king of Gondor. Um, but then Pippin is really a major player in the rest of the chapter. And he yeah. uh, and he has his oath that he uh, swears to, to, to Gondor, which is an important moment for Pippin. And you get Gandalf's uh, reaction to that, where Gandalf says that... Uh, I do not know what put it into your head or your heart to do that, but it was well done. I did not hinder it for generous deeds should not be checked by cold counsel. And yeah, and then and then Pippin has this this short sort of like I don't know it's not really a journey, but he has this uh, he's going off into Gondor and really seeing it, right? So he yeah. meets actual Gondorians, and the Gondorians love him, which is I find this yeah. really funny. Uh, they yeah. think he's a prince of the Shire, and that. Uh, all the Rohirrim are going to bring uh, uh, a hobbit with each one uh, mm-hmm. to fight for, for Gondor. Um, but yeah, the, a, the Gondorians uh, a, love him. Yeah, there's a bit on this mentioned in the appendices. When Pippin speaks the common language that they all speak, he speaks it less formally because in the hobbit's version of it, they lost some of the formal elements. Hmm. So like he would use the familiar addresses, familiar you instead of like a formal you. Ah, which implies. And, <laughs> yeah. And so apparently that's one of the reasons or like that must have propagated the idea or helped support the idea that he was a prince in his land come to Gondor to help. Right. Because he would talk to Denethor as though he was just. An uh, uh, guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so everyone was been like, whoa. So I, which I think is a cool, nice, cool detail. There's this kind of neat thing uh, where, so sh- there's a couple, um, I mean, there's always religious references, right? But um, Pippin is sent by Baragon mm-hmm. to talk to Baragon's son, and he, he is interacting with him, uh, and they're, they're having a conversation, and Pippin reveals that he's actually sent uh, by the father, right? Um, and it kind of reminded me of that, it's a it's a story of Christ after after he's resurrected and he's walking i forgot which disciples he's walking with and he just starts having a conversation with them um and then he then all of a sudden then they he reveals that he's actually christ again um but they didn't recognize him right i don't know this is just kind of like being sent by the father and and like having like conversation oh, like yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah that is a thing i know what you mean in the in the, in the new testament gospels that comes up yeah. when he's resurrected the disciples don't know who he is he has to reveal yeah okay yeah but gandalf has has that sort of he says that too earlier in the chapter he's talking to it's his close it's his closing line to uh Mm -hmm. denethor when he says for i am also a steward did you not know uh because you have this relationship of like yeah of 
we are them being sent by someone else with higher authority, right? Yeah. Cool. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I agree. That's about all I have to say about it. It's a chapter as a whole. Yeah. Anything else for you, Pip? Um, yes. Um, one thing it's, uh, it doesn't, it's not really a theme of the chapter. It's just another Tolkienism that I like to pick out when in the very beginning, when Pippin and Gandalf are actually approaching Gondor, when Pippin sees the city, he cries aloud. Mm. Um, and this is one of those Tolkien things that don't exactly make sense. We wouldn't see in our everyday life. Like this is uh, more fantastical where like in the Hobbit, when um, Bilbo yells struck by lightning, struck by lightning, and then falls over. People don't, people don't sing just out when they're walking around and people don't like yell when they see something beautiful. Right. But this makes sense. Um, Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. So yeah, did you, so, would you say you like this chapter overall? No. Yeah, me neither, actually. I mean, I, and I feel like we've said a lot of interesting things about it, but I don't think it's a particularly standout chapter or anything. Um, it's got some hard competition. What, I mean, as far as I, chapters go, like in oh, okay. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's very average. Right. Or, yeah. Um, we'll see. I, I will say this. Now that we're in book five, historically i've usually said book five is my least favorite book of the six so it'll be very interesting to see if that changes because we've talked about how my opinions on these have kind of changed reading them this time around um so we'll see maybe i'll like a little more but uh yeah, just, to, just to give you a warning <laughs> uh, <laughs> i might be a little more like not really into this as much um i do i have a favorite line though it is when baragond and pippin are talking and they are there's this point when they talk about what happens if they if Mordor does overwhelm them and Baragon points out that uh, there are still other fastnesses and secret ways of escape into the mountains hope in memory shall live still in some hidden valley where the grass is green hmm. yeah it. nice good message of hope and resilience there from Baragon I like it and I, I like the him expressing hope he has to explicitly put it in geographic terms landscape terms right we've mm. taught tolkien landscape as character and here it is you know that's the metaphor that he draws on to understand something yeah yeah um mine is also from a conversation with pippin and Baragon. uh pippin says if i may venture to say so rather a burning question in my mind at present is well what about breakfast and all that um, which I just, I find great. Pippin has met one of the most powerful, uh, yes. rulers in middle earth and he is retired to his chambers and he can ask anything about this city. And his first question is breakfast. Uh, yeah. Which is endearing. I love it. Yep. Um, on subject of him talking to Denethor, just real quick, something I don't want to talk about this episode yet. Cause I want to see more in the text. Okay. Um, more explicitly, but Denethor is an interesting character. And I think we need to come back to him at some point um, later. Because I don't think enough has been revealed about him yet in this chapter. Agreed. It's just, it's it's too vague right now. But he's, you know, um, you could you get a vibe from him, I hope, in this chapter that he's not right <laughs> in the head. Um, he's got a lot of bad ideas. And I think we're going to see that later. And I'm hoping to 
anyway, I, I just wanted to flag that as a sort of in case anyone's listening, wondering why we, why we haven't mentioned him. Yeah, I just think I just kind of want to wait until we have more moments with him. All right. Um, well, next episode is the passing of the Great Company. Great. Yeah. Um, we will see you guys then.